Today, I'm talking to Jennifer Pino, Vice President and Managing Broker of Atlanta Fine Homes, Sotheby's International Realty, the top luxury brokerage in Atlanta with, to name a few, the highest per agent production, the highest sales volume, and the highest average sales price. Only 10 years ago, Jennifer got her real estate license. Within three years, she became a top agent and quickly grew into the broker she is today. One of the most highly respected managing brokers at one of the most highly respected brokerages, not just in the city, in the country. Jennifer and I talk about how to succeed, grow, and lead. Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. This podcast was created for real estate agents across the country to come together, sharing ideas to take your, their, and our business to the next level. All right, everybody. It's the Jerry Metcalf podcast where top real estate agents tell how they do it. And today we have a really special guest. She is a managing broker with Atlanta Fine Homes, Sotheby's International Realty, Jennifer Pino. Jennifer, so good to see you. Thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me today. I'm very honored to be on your podcast. Well, the honor is mine. So everybody, I'm going to give you a quick two cents about Jennifer. And Jennifer, I'm going to hope she doesn't hold back and adds on more. So Jennifer was a real estate agent first, and she became successful very quickly in Atlanta. And she was very powerful in leadership roles throughout Atlanta in that she then transitioned into her role now as managing broker at Atlanta Fine Homes Sotheby's International Realty, where we, while the market, obviously Jennifer is my broker, where we, where the market has gone up 20, 25%, we have gone up two and three times that. If you look at price, if you look at number of sales, whatever angle you look at, we do two or three times better than the market's doing right now. So this is who we're talking to, and we have almost 500 agents, and you help manage all of our deals. So I cannot wait to learn from you. But that being said, Jennifer, give us your perspective. Get, it, get us kind of there in your life, how you became an agent. Where did it all start? Well, like most real estate agents, you know, I did not go to school for real estate. It wasn't like I was a little kid that dreamed Someday I'm going to be in real estate, even though now I think, why didn't I start it sooner? But, um, you know, for many real realtors, it's a second, third, fourth career. And so the same was true for me. I went to college, um, paid my own way through college. So it took me a while to get through it. But I got a fine art degree and an art education degree. And I actually um, paid my way uh, through school doing accounting and contract work for like a software company, really boring stuff. But, uh, and then I taught school, I taught, um, graphic design, I taught art. Then I started doing graphic design for an internet company, which led to interior design and which led me into staging. And that was, um, right at the downturn in the market. So when I was presented with an opportunity for real estate, I, for the first time in my life, really had, had not seen myself in that role, even though my husband and I had kind of already bought and sold a few homes and I'd been through the process, I really had not had a good experience with a real estate agent up at, at that point. 
And so I I had this image in my mind of real estate agents as the equivalent of the way in my mind at that time, I viewed like a used car salesperson. I didn't see any value that they brought to the table. So there was an incongruence in my mind about how I would fit into that because I am a very, I have high standards in most things as my children will tell you. (laughs) And so, um, but, but somebody did, someone who was in real estate, who um, I had done staging for, she was really pushing me hard and just convincing me that no, Jennifer, you would be so good in real estate. And it seemed like whatever I would throw at the situation to say, no, you know, it's not a fit with my family life. I have two little kids or no, you know, whatever I came up with, whatever excuse in my mind, there was something else right behind it kind of pushing me back in that direction. And so, you know, it was one of those crossroads in my life that was really one of the most powerful times, probably like deciding to get married to my husband. And then this was the other one. It was getting into real estate because I'm, I'm, a fully committed person. So like, if I decide to do something, I'm not going to do it halfway. So for me, it was, you know, even though I didn't have that vision of myself doing it, I felt like I was being nudged by my higher power down that path. I really did. And so I really, I had to sit down. I remember this conversation with God that I had where I totally surrendered to it. I said, I don't, I don't see the vision, I usually have goals. I have, you know, an idea of what I wow. want, you know, how I'm going to get there. And I said, this is the one time I don't see it, but I, I know that you're pushing me down this path. So here's the deal. I will follow you and I will commit to your plan. And I will walk down this path. If you would just show me the way. And I was just praying for guidance, just show me the way I need to walk every day and, and I'll do it. Wow. It was a total act of faith on my part, it's, I'm making it sound so dramatic, but for me, it was, it was because I knew yeah. my level of commitment. If I'm doing this, it's going to be a career. And there I was almost 40 years old, two little kids and kind of like starting over. And, um, as soon as I got into real estate, I realized it was really the absolute perfect fit for me. And I never looked back. I mean, all the, the random things I did from knowing how to work numbers and contracts and, um, from understanding how that side works, from educating people, knowing how, because really when you're an agent, you're educating people on all their options and guiding. You've been a teacher. Yeah. I've been a teacher. All of my, my you went back and you were the whole time you were being set up and thank goodness you're here because look at Atlanta fine homes. We're huge. We got to do like such an amazing leader. Thank you. Well, yeah. all of those random things in my past for that I had been doing for 20 years that I totally felt were unrelated. Every single thing that I learned made me just such a good fit for real estate. And like right away, I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I meant to do. It was amazing. Wow. That said, it was not easy. That first year is tough for everyone. Yeah, it is. So... Let's talk about, to, I don't want to miss it, your career, because you were, it was fast, and it, as an agent, and then how much more you've even learned now. So you become an agent, tell us about how you made it, what you learned that first year, how you got traction and really hit success, and then we'll go from there. Like, even so, just like your first deal. Yeah, well, yeah. so I can tell you, you know, um, success... <laughs> does not happen overnight. I really, um, you know, once 
I kind of got started and fell in love with real estate very quickly and realized, oh my gosh, this is my skill set. This is my wheelhouse. I have talents and gifts to share. I love to serve people. I mean, I was like, yes, yes, yes. But, um, and then right away, I took a class that, that we used to teach at Atlanta Fine Homes. That's a, a great course and it's called Buffini. And it really helped me um, basically set myself up to have a referral-based business. And so for those of you that do Ninja and there are other systems out there, you know, the fundamentals, quite frankly, on all these different systems are the same. It's about putting people first. You know, it's about serving people creating value, um, deepening relationships, and being a, a professional and treating your business like a business. And so there are commonalities in many different training programs out there, but I was very fortunate to take that one first. That said, I really believed that since I'm from Atlanta, I've lived here you know, since I was one year old, um, I had knew all kinds of people and felt like I had their trust. I just felt like the referrals were gonna come flowing in, but they didn't. And um, I remember being very frustrated my first year because I wasn't getting those referrals. And what I did was I had to hustle and I hustled hard. So, you know, here I was, I had made this big dramatic commitment to God and myself that I'm going to, you know, whatever you tell me to do, I'll do it. And so, you know, I was holding open houses every weekend. I was in the office every single morning. I would sometimes be the first person there other than the receptionist in that office. And I would, you know, sit down at my desk and I would work on my business, but there are so many, only so many notes you can write and calls you can make when you haven't ever done anything in real estate. It's tough. So yeah. as people would come in, I'd start talking to other agents and, and just, you know, what's going on with them. And I was basically asked them how I could help them. How can I, is there anything I can help serving. you with? And, and yeah. just with that servant spirit. And you know what? I, my first year, it was tough. And remember, this was in the downturn too. This was 2010. Okay. So yeah. oh, the real wow. estate market was not good. The real estate market was not strong. Yeah. But basically I ended up taking others, other people's reject clients. That's, that's how I did it. So it would either be, I met them at an open house or this, you know, people don't want this low price lease and the, you know, or they have a lease and these renters called and want to show the property. I would take all of those people and I would do as much as I can to try and flip them into buyers. So uh, for example, someone would have a lease and they'd say, and I'd say, well, look, if I can help, you know, if you have any, anyone that calls on it that isn't represented and I can show them, I'd love to show yeah. the property really like hustling hard. And but but when I keep going, I'm going to sum up what you said. So everybody like takes it back, but finish what you said. Or Okay. So yeah. I would, I would be really proactive. So I I'd have these people that want to see this um, yeah. particular, you know, condo for rent. I'd call them and I'd talk to them on the phone and I'd say, well, you know, since we're going to be out, how about I show you some others at the same time? And they'd say, sure, that's great because nobody serves renters, you know, Thank you make you. like $200 yeah. serving a renter. Nobody serves renters. So that's what I would do. And I would, I would give them full service. I, how about I show you some others and I'd line it all up. And then I would go the extra step of going online to the mortgage calculator and finding out how much could they qualify for if they're spending $1,800 in rent, what kind of mortgage payment is that? Okay. And then I would look up homes in that same neighborhood that were for sale or in that area that would be at that price. 
And so I'd show them first the, the rental that they wanted to see. Then I'd show them a few more to compare. And then the last one would be the house that I picked that's actually for sale. And they would always end up liking that house that's for sale because it's typically wow. nicer than rental. And I'd get them in there and they'd say, we really like this one. And I'd say, well, I, you know, I, I brought you here that's because crazy. this one's actually for sale, not for rent, but it's, it would be about the same payment that you're looking to be in. And they would say, well, you know, we may, I think we've had some credit issues. And I'd say, we well, you know what? I have someone I want you to talk to. I would stop right there, get on my phone, call the lender and I would walk outside to the backyard. They would get on the phone with the lender. And several times I was able to sell a house my first year by doing that to people wow. that never even knew that they could qualify for a house. And then I, the people that I didn't, I stayed in touch with and I sold them a house like the next year, because then it's working on, okay, what do we have to do to fix your credit in the next year to get you ready to buy a house? So, that's beautiful because what I, a few things I love about that is I think a lot of people in our business are like, how do I, like, what's the trick? Like you're going to tr- like, like maneuver. No, you came in and you figured out what people needed and you helped them. But to like really sum that up into chunks, it's basically like, how can I serve you? And that doesn't mean just be polite, but like, look at your situation, have some empathy. What can I really do for you? And to do that, it's not just think about it. It's actually hustle and do it. So serve and hustle and in serving and hustling, working hard, having work ethic, you always thought about the people, always put people first. You have a business, you do treat it like a business. It's a business. And in doing it, never forgetting the gifts that you have to offer and what you're doing. So it's put people first, treat it like a business and and leverage your gifts. And in doing that, you've got to serve and work hard or hustle. Yes, that that sums it up. So now you did that. I mean, like, no wonder you are where you are today because you literally come into a business and see problems and relentlessly offer people solutions, like it or not, that they really needed. Yeah. And from yeah, I love that, it. from that, now let's talk about how that transitioned into where you are today. Yeah. So my first year, even though I I worked so hard, I I mean I remember even breaking down at the year mark because you know having to hustle that hard for every single deal and of course most of those situations yeah. didn't turn into a sale so i think my first year i only sold about like 2.6 million which it's not it's bad, bad especially in 2010 i mean that was pretty darn good in 2010 but it what none of that came through referral and i had been working my sphere of influence exactly as i thought i, I thought i was doing it right <clears throat> and there's a good lesson here. I had, you know, taken my course and I knew what I needed to do. Um, but I did make a key mistake. And once I changed this one thing is when the referral started. So I will share that with you. And that was in, you know, in my first year, I, I had so many people having grown up in the same city that I'm working and serving. My kids at that time were in all kinds of activities, swim team, little league. And I had been, you know, the team mom and kind of done it all. And I had been on the tennis team and I was PTA and all All those connections, all those connections. So I had in my, uh, you know, sphere of influence or database. Okay. Many hundreds of people. And to me, 
they all should love me, know me, trust me, and they're all going to give me business. And so, um, you know, why wouldn't they, right? But we all know where this is going. Yeah, I love this. Such a rookie mistake. So I had, let's say, you know, 500 people in my database. And so when I had been taught that I need to go through and call, you know, everyone on my list, of course, I wasn't calling 500 people. I was calling the people that I know the best. And and I was supposed to be mailing my database every month. Well, remember, you know, I'm right now starting out a new career, hustling so hard. Most of my deals is me making two or $300 after working with renters and they, they didn't buy anything so many hours and I'm paying a nanny. I was like, I felt like I was just netting even and, and not getting traction. So, you know, when I'd send out a mailer to 500 people, you know, it's $500. And I, what I thought at the time is that I was doing everything right. But at the year mark, when I hadn't received even my first referral, I remember just having tears in my eyes and going to my broker. And I said to him, you know, I'm, I'm just having a bad day. I haven't even had my first referral yet. And I'm starting to think that maybe this was all a big mistake. And this was Bill Rawlings. And he said, Jennifer, no, everything, you know, you are doing amazing. I said, but Bill, I haven't had my first referral. And he said, well, are you doing everything that you're supposed to be doing? I said, yes, I'm doing it all and more. And he said, so you're writing letters and making calls? Yes. And he said, and you're mailing every month? And I said, yes. He said, okay, so you mailed this month. And I thought about it. I was like, no. He said, did you mail last month? I was like, hmm. No. And, um, but I had mailed like the month before that. And then it was like two or three months before that. And I realized in, in that conversation that I had some work to do. So I, I kind of went back to my desk and I got out my workbook to look at all these things I was supposed to do. And I really, really analyzed, like, am I really doing what I think I, what I think I'm doing? Right. Am I really following the, the, the system because the systems work. Right. Yeah. And what I realized is that I had so many people in my database that it was so painful for me to pay that five hundred dollars at that time when I'm paying a thousand dollars to my nanny and this and that. And, the, the, you know, it was like more money was going out than coming in. And so I was just kind of spreading it out. So instead of doing it every month, I was doing it like, you know, maybe every eight weeks or maybe every 12 weeks, like every three months. And I really only sent out like four or five mailers in my first year. And I said, you know what, I can't, you know, I said I was all in on this thing. I can't in good conscience not do, you know, give up on something if I haven't really done it the way that I've been shown. So I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mail every three weeks, but first I have to be able to afford it. So I went through my database and all the people that I hadn't called because I thought, you know, what am I going to talk to them about? I realized that those people should not be on my list. And when I went down to say, who am I really comfortable calling? And when they pick up the phone, they're going to know who I am and it won't be awkward. Well, I had like a hundred people. Yeah. And when I got it down to a hundred people. Well, I can afford a hundred dollars a month. So yeah. I started mailing every three weeks and within two months, I had someone call me and they said, Jennifer, a friend of mine gave me your postcard. I said, Great. And it was not even, it was someone I even had considered taking off that list of a hundred. It was someone I knew from the tennis team that, you know, we had played together just a few times and I had kept her on there. And she said, yeah, she said that she's been getting these from you all the time and you're doing really amazing. And so I'd like to come talk to you. So 
I go see this lady, you bring a glass of wine. Thank you. I, um, I go see her and she's got my postcard in her hand. We have a great chat. We have a glass of wine and we're talking and I list her house and that's my first referral. And here's the best part. So I get this listing and I send out a postcard to my hundred people of new listing. So now in like two months, they've received like four postcards from me because now it's just listed, which I have never had before, by the way, I've only had buyers. So my first listing, first referral, I send out my postcard within a couple of days, I get a phone call from a good friend of mine who is on my list, like one of my best friends, one of my like top five people in life. And she says, Jennifer, wow. we would like to see this house. I said, why? You're not moving. She said, well, we never, you know, told you this, but we're really not happy with the kids school. And we know that you are, and we love that school district. So we'd like to see it. They buy it off the postcard. I hadn't even been on the market like a couple of days. They buy it off the postcard. Now I get to sell their house. I mean, it just, what I realized is that you can't just blindly go through the motions without paying attention to those details. I needed a smaller database. I needed to focus myself on the people that I really um, knew and that were really advocates for me. And then I needed to be consistent like this. And, you know, science tells us that it takes between seven and 12 times of repetition for people even to recognize that there's a pattern. So that whole first year of marketing was like thrown out the window. It was like nothing ever happened at all. Wow. I mean, so it's, it's, if you're going to do it, do it. Don't lie to yourself. But what I love this because you're like, look, first of all, sit down, wherever we are with our careers, we've got people who listen to the show who are like, do I really want to do this? They're just starting and people doing a hundred million a year, but whatever's going on, Sit down, get honest with yourself. What am I going to, what am I doing? The next thing is, once you're honest with yourself, make sure whatever it is that you're doing, you're consistent and make sure that you get out there. And then doing all of that, engage, get your details and get better said, engage, which you ended with, engage, get the details and get focused. Yeah. And the focus needs to be also sometimes not making your world bigger, but making your world smaller. Yeah. Smaller goes deeper. Yeah. Get the traction. I can tell you how many agents on our show have said, when I make my audience narrow and deep, I get so much more traction and success than trying to spread out so wide. It's the the Pareto principle. It's the 80-20 rule. 80% of your business is going to come from 20% of your people. If you're spreading yourself with the, you know, thin with the 80%, that's not going to give you business you're missing the whole point. It's about finding where to focus and, and putting exactly. your energy there. Well, now you're a broker of, I mean, our, our office is three offices, but you're at the biggest office. And I think you get quite a lot of the phone calls in our office and manage quite a lot of issues. How, two things, and tell me where we should start. How did you transition into this career and give us some insights on what you've really learned. Difficult conversations, successful agents versus unsuccessful agents, all of that good stuff. Maybe we'll start with the transition of your career into this role. So, um, you know, I my my first year, I think I sold two and a half. By the second year, once I, I figured out the missing link there with me not being consistent with my marketing, because I've been going deep with people, phone calls, coffees, lunches, but not 
marketing properly to these, to the right people. Once I mm. fixed that the second year, I closed seven and a half million. My third year, I was um, almost 12 million. So really very consistent, big jump. Just, it worked. You just it got worked. the traction and just, you stayed focused. You stayed consistent. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and what I found and continued to hustle, which is also important. Yeah. When I, um, what I also did was because like I told you, I'm kind of, uh, I'm a very all in kind of person. If I commit, I don't want to commit to something unless I feel like I can do it and do it well and do it right. And so, uh, you know, I immediately started serving even in my first year at the Atlanta Realtors Association. And I just joined a committee and I was there to serve. And so, you know, on the committee, it was interesting because everyone, like we would leave the committee meeting that month and we'd all have different tasks to do. And what I found when we'd come back together is maybe some people didn't show up, some people showed up, but they hadn't done their tasks and I had done mine. And by the time we were done with that first year of committee, I was asked to be a chair. And from that, I mean, it was amazing how many, first of all, got to meet the most amazing people, but also um, that was so pivotal and pivotal in my path to leadership. I didn't know it at the time, but you know the the kind of people that I met are were, are very like minded people. People that really are committed to our industry, to real estate as a career. They're they're brokers, they're business owners, and I didn't have any idea the type of exposure that I would get just by serving, and and by being willing to to lead there also when asked. And because leadership is about service, right? Yeah. As yeah. Jenny says, people don't want to be led. They want to be served. And um, I had, it was in my fourth year when I was approached by Jenny and David, and they said that they had been watching me. I had no idea. They had been watching wow. me rise in leadership and take on roles and jump at opportunities to serve and help bring success to the Atlanta Realtors Association. And they gave me this unbelievable opportunity that I was not even looking for, didn't know that I was, you know, could do it. And I, I remember when I met with them, I said, are you sure? I was like, you know, really what you said? Yeah. I was like, awesome. I mean, you yeah. And me. right. you know, I was like, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not a broker. And they said, Jennifer, there are certain things that we look for. And the things that you don't have are something you can learn. The things that you can't learn, that's what you have. And I, that was 2015. I started um, being a, the managing broker along with Nancy here in the Buckhead office in July 1st of 2015. So six years ago. And I can't it's, believe it's been that long. Yeah, yeah. It was really like, so it's been, you know, 10 years in real estate now, but I've been more time as a broker than I was as an agent. And you know, that feeling I had when I got in real estate, like this is the perfect fit for me. It's like now magnify that times 10. And that's what it's like for me to be a broker because my favorite parts of, of being an agent were the serving and the solving and the looking for opportunities to make the situation better. And that's really now what I get to do all day long, which is pretty awesome. Wow, and you're really good at it. I know everybody because she helps me all the time. So not just because I heard, but so now that you're a leader, what is the, well, two things. What is the, well, you've always been a leader, but now you're in a manager role. What does it take to be a good 
broker? And in that role, what have you seen to be a good agent? But what does it take to be a good broker? What is it that you do have that is ingrained that you can't learn? Because a lot of that's just leadership. Well, I think there are, um, well, there are these three traits that I heard David Bame uh, talk about, which I'll share with you, because I think that those three traits are applicable for being a success in any role in life. But really, when we're looking for, you know, when an agent comes to meet with us, we're kind of, we're looking for a combination of these three things, okay? And it's humility, so being humble. And to me, that's having a, a servant spirit, um, detaching from the outcome, doing what's right for the person, not, not what's going to put money in your pocket, right? Um, you know, and as, as brokers, especially the managing brokers at our company, our focus is not on the bottom line. Our focus is on serving the agents. And if we serve the agents, the bottom line will follow. So we are not focused on money, even though money is a wonderful result of, of the experiences that we have and the work that we do. So it's humility. Um, the second thing I'd say is hungry. I'm, I'm, I loved my job. I love to work. I have a, a I'm excited to go to work every day. I enjoy the people that I serve. Um, so being committed, proactive, hungry, I think is an important trait to have as whether you're a real estate agent or a broker. And then um, the third one is, you know, being smart. You gotta be a trusted advisor. Um, you have to develop systems. You've gotta be able to, you know, do multiple, have multiple things going on and be able to compartmentalize. Um, but I feel like, you know, if you are someone who is humble, hungry, and smart, you can do very well in real estate. Mm, hungry. That's a good one. That's an important one. But humility, all of them are. But I, did, I wouldn't have thought of hungry. But you're right. Hungry, which is that ensures I mean, you're committed. But humility, hungry, and smart. Yeah. Now, and in that. In that, I think you answered both questions is that is the common denominator of successful agents. And I can what? give you an example. Okay, so like we, we yeah. have, we've had, you know, not, first of all, we work by referral in our company. You know, we're not a recruiting company. We are so fortunate. We don't have quotas and have to make recruiting calls. It would be the equivalent of an agent who, only does expired listings. I, I, that's how I envision someone who does yeah. you know, just recruiting. They're just calling people they don't know. That's not what well, we you do. can't serve your clients if that's what you're doing with your time. Right. So, so when we are referred an agent, you know, um, and we meet with them, you know, we, we don't hit it, knock it out of the park every single time, but we, we have very high standards. We're, we're looking, you know, for professionals, this is all that they do is have a career in real estate and they have to be a good fit with our culture. We look at that much more than we would someone's production, although we typically do not hire a new agents either. But my point is saying that is this, we have hired people before who maybe they were very, they were humble, they were down to earth, they were kind, um, they seemed very professional and maybe they'd had a, you know professional success in the past, maybe it was a while back. And um, and they were smart, so we gave them a chance. And, and the missing ingredient there was being hungry. And agents mm. who come into the business that are not hungry, they tend to be, I have noticed, a little more selective on the types of things that they want to do. So they're 
not just out there serving anyone who needs any help at all. They're, they're looking maybe to be in a certain price point or they only want to do luxury. And that's a great goal to have as the end result, but that's typically not where people start. You know, for someone well, to trust you with the largest transaction that, that most people have financially, they're going to need to see a level of experience that you got to start somewhere. And so there have been agents that have come onto our team and then a year later, we've rolled them right off because they, they weren't hungry or maybe humble enough to hold those open houses, to help renters, to do whatever it stays. In the beginning, yeah. you're do whatever, whatever business is there where you can add value is where you need to insert yourself. Well, it comes down to when you get in this business and whatever level, if you're getting to the next level, you've got to do the things to learn. You can't just say, this is how I'm going to be. So this is all I'm going to do. Because that's actually, you don't, you can't get there that way. You've got to learn. You've got to do the hard stuff. Because leadership, back to where we started, is serving. If you're not willing to serve people, and that's kind of like the test. Like, are you willing to do things you don't necessarily want to do? Because that's what serving often can be and is. It's like climbing a ladder. You don't get to the top of the ladder by starting at the fourth rung or the fifth rung on the ladder. You start on the first step. And the first step, is doing the hard things, building yeah. momentum. But it's if you you can't climb a ladder without starting at the bottom. You've got to start there. So a lot of people, if they're not humble or hungry enough to do that, they do not make it in real estate. And so we're looking for those things. Wow. So this gives me a good pivot point. Another thing a lot of people don't like to do is deal with the emotions, the confrontations, and the many difficult situations that can come up in our business. And you are really good at it. How did you get so how did you get good at it? And what can you tell us about as agents, you deal with this a lot more often because you're running a huge office. But what is your advice on avoiding the get not the never you probably know very well how to avoid them, but when you get in them, how to handle them? So I how to avoid them, I mean that's a great question. It, I think that's what we all want to do. And I think what that takes is sometimes you just need to slow your roll. You know, real estate is going a million miles a minute, especially in this market. It's go, 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 next deal, next deal. And people are reacting and they're being very reactive. What's the next thing I have to do? You know, I, I think it's very important, especially at the beginning of every day to, first of all, work on your mindset. Okay, I think that there, there needs to be a little routine and for agents to kind of start their day and get in the mindset. And that means quiet time, you know, without the email and be in the right mindset of, you know, not starting the day being reactive, but starting the day, um, reminding yourself, what is your sense of, what is your sense of purpose? What are, what is your goal today? My, I always have like a little routine. I still follow every single morning, trying to get myself in the right mindset of being grateful I'm grateful for the opportunities that I have, asking God to put me in the path of, of whoever I can serve that day and letting everything I do be as meaningful as possible because my end goal in life is to be the best person I can be every single day, constantly learning and growing and making the world a better place. And that sounds very altruistic, but that is truly how I feel. And, and that's how I try to start every day. So when things you know, get start going from there, it's not about me. My goal is to serve, to make things you know better if I can, and to um, you know 
to, I ask God to let me be an instrument of his will. So let me know the joy, Lord, of, of being used by you today. And so if I'm being presented with a situation, it's, you know, where can I add value? So as an agent, you know, it means being proactive. So when you take a deep breath and you're presented with a situation, it's not just flying through it. Just because you have, um, you know, a deal under contract, it's not like, fine, send that to my contract to close coordinator. I'm on to the next one. No, you need to think, put, put your hat on. Like yesterday at our sales meeting, we were talking about temporary occupancy agreements, which are very common in this market. But, you know, attorneys hate them because it's impossible to prove liability when things go wrong. So, you know, did you know, because I didn't know this until, you know, several years ago, that, um, that if you have temporary occupancy, the insurance companies, they all just point fingers when something goes wrong because the seller, they never took possession of the property and it's not a rental property. The, the um, bot, excuse me, that's the buyer. And the seller probably canceled their insurance, right? And now their things aren't protected. There are certain types of insurance that both parties need to have. They're not going to know that. The agent needs to think through all the different scenarios and be a proactive advisor. And by being proactive, that's where you can help for things to bubble over and become a problem in the first place. Not that everything's under your control, but being, you know, taking a, a breath, being in the right mindset, slowing down sometimes and thinking things through so that the experience is great for your clients. Yeah, slow down, be present, and think ahead. Yes. Think, just don't hesitate to slow down. Sometimes we think we're reacting to get the deal done and as opposed to saying, no, we really need to play a part in this and think ahead for people because we have experience that they don't have and that they may not, they're, they're not, they can't get with the number of transactions that we're doing every year. So dealing with what things do you get, well, once, like it's just gonna, if and when things get tough and difficult, how do you mitigate? How do you diffuse? How do you navigate? What's your advice on that? Well, a lot of people, when they're upset, they want to be heard and validated. So this is a little bit of Chris Voss magic too, right? So, oh, yeah. um, you know, when you have someone who's upset, I think even though you may have your own opinions on it and they may be flat out wrong, right? Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't matter. If, if they haven't had the opportunity to voice themselves and get that off of their chest, it's going to stay in the, the that energy is going to stay there and it's not going to get better. So I think um, oftentimes if I'm called into a situation, let's say where a client is so upset with the agent, I don't, I mean, I don't have any magic wand that I can wave and make everything better. But you know what I do is I just hold the phone out here and I, and I let them say what it is they need to say. They need to get it off their chest. Yeah. And then I try and put myself in their shoes and I try to empathize with them, even though they may be wrong, right? But it's their perception. And I will let them know, you know, gosh, I think if I were in your shoes, I, I can see how you might see it that way. And that yeah. diffuses things because they just want to be heard. And then you can tell them, you know, so, gently that it may not be the way that they perceived. And yeah. you can give well, them it's often when they're heard and they hear themselves, and that even changes their perception and backs them off. But yeah, you were adding to that. And I think one of my favorite phrases, because it's, it's true. I mean, I, I'll ultimately say, 
you know, if I could wave a magic wand and make this situation better for you, I, I would do it in a heartbeat, but I, I can't do that. Here's what our options are, you know, because they, they just want someone to help them to make it go away. But, but you also, you're there to educate them, to guide them. And so in the same way as an agent, you know, gosh, you know, I wish this hadn't happened. I wish I could make it go away for you, but yeah. I can't. So here are the options and let's think through this. And so part of being me being a broker is the same as you being an agent and that whether I'm talking to an agent or ultimately the client, mostly it's agents, I am um, helping them to understand their options so that they can really think things through. And that's really, that's you serving them. That's you, um, you know, taking the, the bigger picture, right? So taking yourself out of the equation and the emotion that you might have attached to it, that has to be totally put to the side because this isn't about you. And the agents need to remember when they're dealing with an upset client, that client's upset, but it's not about me, right? This yes. is about, you know, this um, client has issues and they need to understand what it means for them. They're nervous, they're scared or, you know, anxious about it. And so it's your, your job is to break it down for them into chunks and pieces that they can understand so they can put the whole picture together and ultimately make the right choice. Not, it's not just to tell them what to do. It's to mm -hmm. help them understand the situation. And they won't hear it. They won't hear their options if they haven't been heard first. Right. Correct. But breaking it down in any situation is people want to be hard and validated. And after that, they'll choose an option and it might be a good, might be a better one than otherwise. And in our role, it's remembering going in to listen and then so that they're heard, empathize so that they're validated. And I love when you said, I wish I could wave a magic wand because two things about that. Sometimes I remember earlier in my career, that listening part seemed as I shouldn't even admit this, but it was like, this is just taking a long time. How are we ever going to get what they need if I just sit here and let them talk? They can talk to somebody else. I mean, how ignorant of me. But I think a lot of agents do that. And then the next one is they need to be validated. They need someone to empathize. And then you said, wave that magic wand because that's obvious. Don't we all know you want to? No, they need to hear the person they're talking to wants to make this go away for them. Because they're looking for the person that will. And you clearly are the one that is capable of helping things go away, if at all possible. And the last one is, now that they've been heard, now that they've been validated, they're still in control of their situation. They're frustrated about, here's what's going on. Here are our options. And now people also want to be in control and navigate themselves. It's their problem. How can I find the best solution? And they're able to in interact and engage and do that, which diffuses that anger and all those issues. Yes. And they, then they do feel in control because now, you know, they've been heard. They, everyone understands that they have suffered and, and they're validated. They, now they see the big picture and what the different ramifications are for the different choices. And now they get to choose. Which takes and, and away they, a lot of that. And they may ask yeah. you, what do you think? And, you know, you can share that with them, but, but ultimately the decision is theirs to make. Exactly. And that's a great advice too, is as agents, agents, I think the common denominator is they're serving people and they care and they just want to make it go away. But there are situations where the best way you can do that is to serve. You can't put yourself, you can't be them. You can't feel feeling bad for them doesn't take their problems away. Listening, empathizing, exploring, and offering the options so they can make the best one. Great advice. 
so I love that. Everybody who hasn't seen Jennifer in action, it's awesome to see you break that down. Um, any stories you want to give us, and then we're going to go into our final three questions, but any stories you could share with us about how you learned that and what you learned and any ahas you had. And I mean, you went from being an agent to handling so many issues. I mean, I say that like, that's what brokers do. That became your job. So that's a lot of what you spend your time on. What's been any of your big ahas that you can give us or share? Um, I, I think it's just a, a continuation of the same, you know, basically taking myself out of it. I mean, that, that has been an important aha since I started in real estate but um, it's just still so important. I mean, if I got upset every single time something was going wrong, I wouldn't make it through 10 a.m. You know, I mean, things are going wrong all the time. And, um, you know, but, but I, I do empathize with the agent as they call me. I'm like, ah, I mean, I really, I feel for them and I let them know that. And I think, um, but, but again, it's not about me and I'm not experiencing it. I think it's good sometimes too. I'm just throwing this out there. I moved in like November of 2019 and had been a while. Uh, I mean, if y'all have not moved lately, I good. recommend doing it because it is a big reminder of how stressful and intrusive. It's something we all know. We deal with it all the time, but because we deal with that all the yeah. time, we think we just forget how bad yeah. it really is. And so how true. everyone's emotions can be on high. But, um, you know, as, as an agent and also as a broker, we are the calm in the center of the storm. And so for us to, we don't need to add energy to any storm that we're in. So even if it's, even if the other agent is acting poorly and unprofessionally, we don't need to go back to our clients and complain about that. That doesn't help it. It just makes it worse. Feed, don't feed the monster. Don't, feed the monster. You are the calm at the center of the storm. So, you know, sometimes what that means is that as the agent, you have to do some extra work. Sometimes all the amendment writing and all of that, it's going to fall on you. In the end though, it's going to be fine because you're serving your client. Your client's going to remember that they had this incredible experience and they're going to refer you. And trust me, if the other agent isn't doing a great job with you, they're not doing a great job with their client either. And they're not going to get the referrals. I mean, it, it, exactly. all, it all takes care of itself, but you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to give the very best possible experience to the person you're serving. And I think if you have that attitude of going the extra mile every single time and all that you do, it's, it's naturally going to work out to your benefit, even though you're not doing it for you. It's amazing how true that is. It's amazing how true that is. Time really shows that as you just... It's amazing. I mean, look at your career. You are naturally that way. And that is, I mean, you've gotten in a role that there are many agents that would love to, to grow to that, but there are only so many spots and you just grew right into it because look at your mindset, look at how you think, look at how fast your business grew. It's just like, if we just, the more we can get in the, that into our industry, the better. Um, because that's, that's what the great, the one thing I've learned from the show is that's who the great agents are. Well, oh, great. I appreciate yeah. your kind words. It's true. So final three, number one, if, well, I'm trying to think which one is number one, what has been your greatest resource in your success? Uh, 
well, first is, would be my faith. If I didn't have my faith, I would not be here. Um, but, and that resource is available to everyone. I'm not trying to be preachy about it, but oh my God. <laughs> it's true, yeah. It, um, I think sometimes, even though, of course, young people can be faithful. For me, uh, it's been a lot of um, maturity through the years that has really led me just deeper and deeper into my faith. Um, but I would say uh, people, like surrounding yourself with the right people. And I don't, I don't mean like there's a right and a wrong, but I would say people that are like-minded. That means, um, you know, around people that you want to emulate. So if, if there are, you know, agents in your office who they are complaining and they're negative Nellies and they like to pick things apart and you know what, don't hang out with those people. I mean, maybe they're going to be fun to have a cocktail with every now and then, but don't surround yourself with people who aren't living the way that you want to live. Because, I mean, it, it just kind of happened naturally for me, and I'm so blessed that it did. But I can see how that affected me in a positive way that I, you know, steered myself towards just by being myself, but towards people that were more aligned with, with my vision for my life. And it wasn't like I did that with an end goal in mind. I just like, you know, I volunteered. And so I'm there with other people who have that mindset that they want to give. And that's a powerful synergy. Then you are with, you know, the, that circle just grows within the right direction. So I think really um, putting yourself around people who are the way that you want to live your life. I think that's a big resource. Wow. Number two, great advice. Number two, if there's a book that we've got to read, it can be life or career that has influenced. What is the book? I would say The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. I'm sure that book comes that up book. so much. What's your biggest takeaway um, reading um, that book? Basically, okay, so he says um, your worth, your true worth is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. So basically give more in value than you take in payment. So it's, it's again, it's, it's not about you getting, it's about you giving. And that is me in a nutshell. I love it. When I read that book, it was like, I was just reading something that, that was such a kindred to my soul. And, and it is true. It's the number one law that they talk about in that book. And, um, and if you live that way, you will reap the rewards. Wow. All right. Last question. If there's one thing that you hope we remember, if we're just going to forget everything else, which hopefully we don't, what's the one thing we should take away from our conversation today? Or just remember. Mm. Humble, hungry, and smart. Like it. Be humble, be hungry, and be smart. Jennifer, thank you so much. That was so great to have you on the show. The pleasure is all mine. I'm going to be honest. I was a little bit nervous. I'm like, I don't have anything to say. And then now. I Thanks for listening to the Jerry Metcalf podcast, where top real estate agents tell how they do it. If you like this episode, please share it with friends. To find more episodes, search Jerry Metcalf podcast on any platform for podcasts or go to jerrymetcalfpodcast.com. That's J-E-R-E. M-E-T-C-A-L-F podcast.com.